I wonder if you've ever gone through the course of a day trying to consciously keep track of how much you think about yourself versus how much you think about God or other people. I did that a, a few times over the course of the past year, and it's a humbling experience when you realize just how much uh, we think about ourselves. It was the way God was challenging me, dude, you, you think about yourself in comparison to how much you think about me and how much you think about others. It, the, the, the ratio is just way off, dude. And, and I thought about how who we are is something that's so very important to us. We do spend a lot of time thinking about that if we're honest. You know, what makes me happy? What makes me sad? What fulfills me? What doesn't fulfill me? What do other people think about me? And I thought about, we think that who we are is the big question. But what I want to throw out there tonight is there, there is a much more important question than who we are. And that question is whose you are. Whose you are. And what I mean by that is who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? And if we're honest, I think a lot of us like to entertain the idea that we don't belong to anybody but ourselves. You know, I'm a self-made man or I'm a woman that got this done all by myself. And those of us who have been around the church long enough not to say that stuff, you know, I wonder how many of us wouldn't say it, but we actually live like we control our destiny. We, we belong to numero uno. Jesus came across a crowd of people that thought that way. They thought they had it under control. It was in John chapter 8, verse 31. And he said something that should have been like a cool glass of lemonade after mowing the lawn on a really hot, humid day to these people. But it, they didn't take it that way. It went, went over more like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. He said to this crowd of people, he said, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Now, if the people, the Jews that he was talking to had realized that they were captive, it would have been like that cool glass of lemonade, but they didn't believe they were captive at all. They thought they were just fine. They were under the same delusion that many of us live in for much of the time. I'm good. I got it. The delusion that they were already free. So instead of saying, Jesus, what's this truth that you have? Tell us about it. We want to know. We want to be free. What'd they do? They start putting up the defenses, right? They put out the barbed wire and they dig the moat and they lay the mines, proverbially speaking, around themselves to send a clear message to Jesus that, hey, we believe we got it just fine without you, Jesus. We're okay. And the way they said it in John chapter 8, they look at him and said, we've, we've never been enslaved to anyone. They're looking back, they're saying, yeah, maybe previous generations of us in Egypt and stuff, but right now, maybe we're occupied by the Romans, but we're not enslaved. How is it that you say you'll become free? We're not enslaved to anything. And I think how easy it would have been for Jesus. It said earlier in John, he knows everything in the heart of a man. 
how easy it would have been for him to turn away from these people in disgust at their, their pride or to just shake his head at the complete ignorance of, of their condition as he knew it to be. But you know what? What's so awesome about Jesus? Jesus loved them. Jesus loves us. So he stuck around to explain the reality of the situation to them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Now think about those three little words, slave to sin. And they must have hit that group like a nuclear bomb because those words obliterated any idea that there's kind of this neutral zone where I'm okay just by myself. I'm okay just just watching over my own life. It, it took away any gray there and it made it very black and white. It made it very either or because all of a sudden what Jesus is saying is either you follow my teachings and you belong to me or you belong to sin. There's no middle ground. There is no middle ground. And some of us in our 21st century mindsets are thinking, hold on there, Jesus, that's a little narrow-minded. That's not what they said in my world religions class at college. You need to, you know, expand your horizons a little bit, Jesus. That's kind of narrow-minded. And we bristle at the fact that he would dare narrow it down to those two clear options. But I thought about, you know what that's like? That's like if I were to talk to my boy and say, hey, you got two options tonight. You know, let's get your teeth brushed and get your pajamas on. Here's your two options. You can watch Toy Story or you can go to bed. And he starts saying, but I want to watch Finding Nemo. And I say, we don't have Finding Nemo. You can watch Toy Story or go to bed. Now you tell me, if he keeps throwing a fit, am I a mean dad or is he a spoiled child? The problems, yeah, that would be a spoiled child, right? I told him what the options are and they were plenty good, but he felt like he needed something else. What's the Bible say? The, the pot has no right to talk to the potter that way. You know, we got this whole creator-creation relationship that we sometimes forget. And I think what happens when we start thinking that way, we don't like that Jesus narrowed it down that much. We miss the fact that his offering us a choice at all is testament to his love for us. He did not have to offer us anything and yet he did. Let me go another step further. The price that was paid to give us that choice shows us how great that love is. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6? He said, you are not your own. He was talking to believers in the city of Corinth. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You know what that price was? Paul talks about it in Acts chapter 20. He's talking to a group of Ephesian elders and he says, care for the church of God, listen to this, which God obtained with his own blood. The price that was paid that we might belong to Jesus 
Just that phrase, the blood of God. Jesus, God and human flesh, took our sin upon himself, died the death of a criminal in our place so that we might have that choice. How dare we stand in the face of that and say, I want more options. Romans 6, Paul said, you're slaves of the one whom you obey. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And what he means there, when you were a slave to sin before you trusted in Jesus, you had no ability to gain a right standing with God the Father. No matter what you tried, you couldn't do it. But now, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Are you going with me on why the more important question is not who we are, but whose we are? I wanna ask you the question tonight, if we agree that those are the only two options, who do you belong to? Do you belong to sin? That wide road that leads to destruction? Or are you on the narrow path that leads to life? Are you in slavery? Are you in the chains of sin? Or are you free? Do you belong to sin? Or do you belong to Jesus Christ? And I'm gonna come back to this because some of you in here may be thinking, I don't wanna belong to either. I just wanna go on my own path. That's just like saying, I'd rather live somewhere other than the Milky Way. Just because you want it, good luck. This, it, it is what it is. This is the choice that's in front of every one of us. So what I want to encourage us in is instead of complaining about the choice that's been offered to us, if you're weighing that decision out right now, instead of complaining about the choice, I'd encourage you to spend your energy comparing your two options. Don't complain. Compare your options. Think about sin. You think sin cares about you? You think sin has an awesome plan for your life? If you're like me and you've dabbled in enough of it, you know for a short time it seems that way. And then it crushes you. Jesus cares so much about you that he gave his own life for you. He took that sin upon himself. Sin is a heavy, heavy burden. If you know what it is to wrestle with guilt, it is a heavy burden that will drive you to despair. Now, in contrast to that, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Anybody in here? rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light one more comparison Paul said the wages of sin what you earn when you choose sin as your master is death and not just physical death eternal separation from God in hell Second half of that verse says, the gift of God, here's the contrast, is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I can't help but wonder if in this room, there's some of you right at that crossroads where that guy's standing right now. And you've been trying the way on my left there. And you feel the weight of those chains. You feel the heaviness in your heart, the despair. And you're looking and you're saying, wow, I want Jesus. And I want to tell you that if that's you, it's as simple tonight as saying, it's not a magic formula, it's not the exact words I say, it's the trust, the clinging to Jesus behind this to say, Jesus, I believe you died on that cross and you had my sin upon you. I'm tired of sin being my master. I'm weary. I want the rest that you offer. I trust, not just in my mind, but I'm leaning all my weight on the fact that you died for me and that you rose again, Jesus. Thank you for doing that. I trust in that for my forgiveness. I want you to be my master. I want your yoke upon me, that yoke that is light, that rest that you offer. I believe, Jesus. I turn from my sin as my master, and I turn to you. I want you to take the reins. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer tonight, Jesus is your master. You're free from that old sin master. And I'd love it if you talk to somebody. Let us know. That's the most important decision you can ever make. We've seen people make that decision right here in this building before. A lot of us have already made that decision. We said, hey, Jesus is our master. And what I want to tell you is what was impossible before, it was impossible to be who God wanted us to be. It is possible now, not only possible, it comes from the heart. We talked about this last week. There's another verse, Romans 6, 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. If you just made that decision a moment ago, that life that you strove for to be everything God wanted you to be and you couldn't get, you can get now because God is inside you, living it through you. We're free to bear fruit for God. We heard some of that fruit earlier, what God's doing. It's God. It's not us. It's God. It says, Romans 7, 4, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, that you may belong to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. What an awesome thing. We get to be part of his mission. So in just a few moments, I'm going to call the worship team up and to the guys that are going to pass communion out to, to get ready. We're going to pass out the bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ that was broken in our place. We're going to pass out the juice that symbolizes the blood of Christ that was poured out in our place. And Paul tells us this is only for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior that's open to you even if you did that the first time tonight. This could be your first night of communion, your first night remembering what he did. But Paul also tells us not to take the cup hastily or in an unworthy manner, not to, not to do this. And I think what he's getting at is for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, it's an important time for us to give him permission to take a look at our hearts. And as I think about this idea of belonging to Jesus, I thought, how, how awesome would it be as the communion's passed if we were to consider for a moment, 
If I really believe that I belong to Jesus, that I am not my own, what would that look like this week in my workplace? What would it look like in my home, my school, my marriage, my parenting? What would belonging to Jesus look like in that dating relationship, in my budget, my calendar, my missional community, my neighborhood? And I'd ask him to say, hey, you have permission, Jesus. You have permission, Holy Spirit, to search my heart. And I'd ask that any of us who are believers would confess any area where the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, you're living like you're in control of that. Let me have it. Lay it down. Give it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I belong to you. I'm glad I belong to you and I want to live like it. Lord, I pray that you'd work in the hearts in this room. As I sit down, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just meet with your people. Convict us, encourage us, challenge us. And after we pray and we share communion together, Lord, I pray that it would be a special reminder of everything you've done for us on that cross and in your resurrection. In Jesus' name.